episode of Counselor's Corner. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about how coronavirus and the quarantine is impacting our families, our kids, our relationships, and our overall functioning as we cope with this crisis. To help guide the conversation, we've invited on Abby Kelly, the director at AMK Counseling, located in Lincoln Park. Abby has been serving clients of all ages, including kids and teens, young professionals, and adults since 2012. Her areas of specialty include social anxiety, depression, OCD, ADHD, self-esteem, relationships, parenting, life transitions, career and academic exploration, and other stressors. She works in partnership with her clients to reduce symptoms and to make sustainable changes that improve overall quality of life. Although she primarily focuses on cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapy, and mindfulness approaches to drive goals for treatment, she's also skilled in exposure and response prevention therapy. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Abby Kelly. Abby, thank you so much for joining us today. When we were thinking about who to invite to help us talk about the challenges and issues that our families are facing during school closure and quarantine, you were one of the first therapists that came to mind. So thank you for joining us. Could you share with us what you're seeing the major challenges and issues that families are bringing to your practice looking for advice and counsel on? That's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest challenge that our families are having right now is just overall availability. Not only with their time, everybody's asked to be doing a lot more right now, so their logistical availability, but I think everybody's even emotional availability. Everyone's pretty maxed out right now. So they're trying to figure out how can I fit all of this in and still have some energy left at the end of the day. Um, I think another challenge that we're facing is this prolonged state of uncertainty. We don't really have an end date. We don't know, we don't have all the answers. And I think for parents, that's really hard when they're, as human beings, that's really hard to be facing this prolonged state of uncertainty. Um, and when your kids are looking to you and asking questions and when can I see my friends again? When can I, it's really difficult to not give them an, a direct answer. So we're trying to help parents deal with that uncertainty, how to help them and their children cope with that. Mm -hmm. um, and also while trying to stay healthy the whole time, there is a real threat out there. And we're trying to stay safe and we're trying to figure out how to communicate that with our kids. So Abby, in thinking about those challenges and kind of the broader issues during quarantine, do you have any key strategies for, for parents um, you know, as they're dealing with this challenge? Yeah, the million dollar question, right? <laughs> yes. How do we navigate this? How do we cope? Um, I think I can talk a little bit more broadly. Where we start with parents is what to really think about what drains you versus what recharges you, because your coping strategies are going to vary depending on that. So it's really important during quarantine, especially to reassess what are the things that are really draining you throughout today, the day and sucking up a lot of your energy? They might not be sucking up as much of your time. It might be a 20 minute task that really drains you. Um, and then what's recharging you? What do you need during the day? What are your non-negotiables that you need to fight for? If you know that you need an hour to work out, how do you make that happen? 
Um, so I think that's really a key strategy to know that, and that's different for everybody. Um, and then we're thinking about also during this time, how are you communicating? Communication is a huge strategy. Families need to be communicating. There's a lot of questions going on. We know, is, and often as parents, the information is changing day by day. Um, so how are you communicating that? And um, modeling coping skills with your kids too. I think that is a key strategy is to know that you are your child's best model of how to handle this. So the whole idea of put your face mask on first. I know it's so hard for us as parents to try and take care of ourselves and mm -hmm. to take time to do that. And we hear it over and over and it's kind of annoying, but it's so true, especially in quarantine when our kids are limited to the people within their house and under one roof to be really intentional about how you're coping. And inevitably when you blow your lid, when you flip your lid and you've had enough, to be able to repair that and go back. You don't have to be perfect. We don't need your, in fact, we don't want your kids thinking you're perfect. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm really frustrated too. And I flipped my lid. I, I apologize. I'm going to be working on it. And letting them know that everybody's struggling. That's okay. Obviously within reason, we don't need to have a panic, fire alarm, you know, everything going off the rails. But, um, it's okay to show your kids that you're struggling. So I think a lot of times some parents, their instinct is to cover up their struggling. And okay, no, put on the brave mask and show that everything's fine and we can do this. When in reality, yes, we don't need to open the floodgates and give them all the information, but we do mm. want them age appropriate to see that we're struggling too. And I think a lot of kids feel validated by that. And this is how we move forward. So that's like, yeah kind of more broadly, I think, that stuff. Um, and I think it, the specific key strategies, like I said, are going to be coming up more case by case. And that's where I think even your families can be leaning on you guys a little bit more too. If they're bringing up some stuff that they have, hey, how am I approaching this with my kids? And being able to talk specifically to someone who knows their kid, knows the community, I think that can be really helpful too. Abby, we're hearing a lot from our families a concern that they don't feel like they're doing enough, that they're not meeting the expectations. They're trying to balance the needs of their profession, their jobs. They're trying to be the lead teacher for their child. They are trying to manage the household and, and take care of themselves. So they're really struggling with this balance and feeling like they're not meeting expectations and therefore their child is missing out. You know, they're not getting the education that they need because they're not being the best teacher they can be. What, what are you telling your parents to normalize that for them? What we are telling our parents is you're doing more than enough. Everybody is doing the best they can. And we really are living by that mantra. In fact, I actually think a lot of parents are doing too much. They're trying to fit too much in. And I think during this uncertainty, it feels good to try to jump into hyper doing. Um, and we know a lot of our parents are feeling like they're coming up short. Because they are, they're trying to fit in 36 hours into a 24 hour day. Mm -hmm. And what we're telling our parents is 
it is okay to let your kids just be and to let them, I think it's really important. And this is a really wonderful time and opportunity for this. Let your kids be bored. You, it is not your job to entertain them. And if you're struggling with the teaching aspect, let's see, let's reach out. Let's teach our kids to reach out and ask help from the teachers. Um, but I think it's really important for parents to know you don't have to be doing more. In fact, what we are advocating with our parents is instead to be making shifts in their thinking to be able to help them feel more successful with what they are doing. So I know that sounds a little hokey, but it's really, we want, I would love to give all of our parents a big hug and say, no, you are doing more than enough. And in fact, let the kids help out more. Give them chores if they don't already. Mm -hmm. Have them help out and do some stuff around the house because it's, it's double. It takes stuff off your plate and it really helps our kids feel good and have develop mastery and feel like they're contributing to the household. And now we have the time to do it. We're not rushing out in the morning. We're not rushing to million different practice. So if it takes them an hour to clean their room, great. Takes them an hour to clean their room. Um, so I guess our main message is our parents do not need to be doing any more. Abby, that's such great feedback and advice for, for, parents. Uh, but what about when you're having a conversation with, with a child or an adolescent and you're talking about these issues, what's your message to them or your strategy for, for that age group? So this is another one where I wish I could have a really easy blanketed response. Um, but this does come down to knowing your kids, knowing your family. There's a really fine line and a balance that we're trying to achieve. We don't want to overprotect and shelter our kids, um, which might be our tendency as mama bear to want to step in and just completely shelter our kids from everything. Mm -hmm. There is a lot, there's a lot to be gained from tolerating discomfort, from managing uncomfortable emotions. We are in, there, there's a lot of uncomfortable emotions swirling around right now. We don't want our kids to get overwhelmed by it. We also can't and shouldn't be totally sheltering them from it. So having communication um, with our kids, talking about what's going on. A lot of parents think, oh gosh, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want them. If they're not thinking about it, I don't want to bring it up. They are thinking about it. And if you have that kiddo who's not, they'll tell you like, what? No, mom, I'm okay. But for the most part, kids are thinking about it. So it's better to control the dialogue and have something talked about within your home. Um, and to be able to say with, to your kids, hey, I'm struggling. This is what I do. What do you do? So with the younger kids, it can be really nice to make something visual. What are some, some things you can do when you're feeling worried or when you're feeling sad or when I'm working and I can't be with you? Have them make a visual of some things. Draw you know, their stuffed animals. Draw you know, going to their room, coloring, music. Put some things up there so they have a visual of what they can be doing so they can feel... Like they have some agency, um, some empowerment to be able to look on their own. Oh, go look at your list. Okay, done, mom. And they can look at their list to help themselves feel better. With older kids, having um, a written list of what they can be doing and mm -hmm. talking through it. Hey, what do you like to do? Oh, that's interesting. I, I don't like doing that, but you do. Great. That helps you cope. Um, having a coping skills bag or basket, some stuff that they can turn to. If they have some fidgets in there, if they have a favorite stuffed animal, if they have a playlist written down that they can be looking up. Um, 
for the older ones who can bake or who can have activities, even if they have a list of activities in their basket, puzzles. So having some stuff for your children that, to do on their own so that you don't always have to be the one in charge of that. Because ultimately we want them to be able to read their own body's cues mm -hmm. and to be able to reach out and know how to self-soothe and how to help tolerate and manage these emotions. For the younger ones, we're still paralleling that. We're still helping them and doing it with them. But with the older kids, we want them to be able to graduate and be able to do some of this stuff on their own. So key strategies for kids is, again, really going to vary kid by kid, but it's important to have a conversation about that. And some families I know can do really well with formal family meetings. Hey, every Sunday, we're going to meet and talk about this. Um, or more casually, it can come up as needed too. Abby, in your answer, it really made me think about some situations that both Matt and I are seeing with our students during this quarantine and recognizing that even though this is a really difficult time, there is a silver lining in terms of having our children develop the social emotional skills and competencies that are really going to serve them well in the future. It's tough right now. For example, they want their children, the children want their parents when they want them at that point. But learning how to distract themselves and, and be patient is it a very important skill that's going to serve them well. So it's, it's very valuable at this point to help them develop those skills. Can you talk about what some of those skills are and what you're seeing in your practice? I love this. And I think this goes back to what you're saying of some of our parents feeling like they're not doing enough. They're not teaching exactly how the teachers are. And I think you're bringing up a great point. They are teaching. They're teaching this delay of gratification. They're helping our kids um, tolerate discomfort. Um, they're teaching how to manage their emotions, how kids are capable of doing this. We're teaching empathy too, especially within a household where there's lots of different emotions going around. This is a great opportunity to talk about, wow, how are you feeling right now? How do you think she's feeling? Um, being able to talk about resiliency. Hey, let's talk about this. Look at, you were so upset that you couldn't hang out with your friends yesterday and look how you got through it. Did you recognize that? Tell me how you got through that. So something we ask parents a lot to do as well is ask questions when their child is really successful, when their child is able to do something, take a step back and, oh my gosh, how were you able to do that? I had a work call for an hour and I didn't even see you once. Mm -hmm. How were you able to do that? And put it back on them, help them understand the skills they do have within. And as parents, it also goes doubly, it helps us, okay, thinking about what are we teaching them? I can't be available for them in this moment, but let's Instead of focusing on that, let's focus on what I am teaching them. I'm teaching them that they're capable. I'm teaching them that they can delay this gratification, which we know is a huge success in life later on when kids are able to delay gratification. Um, but we do, I love when parents are able to ask their, their kids the question, how were you able to do that? And then the kids think through it and they can feel proud of their own um, abilities and they can start to develop also that internal validation where they're not always needing the external along the way for an hour they were left to their own devices and they figured it out and that's really important for us to remember as parents our kids are resilient they will 
figure this out. They don't need us step by step. That's it's the whole goal, right? Of parenting is to be planting this these seeds along the way so that we can nurture them. And ultimately our kids will have the roots to be able to stand on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great opportunity. I agree with you that there's a silver lining. And for us to be focusing on that, not just what we aren't able to teach them, it's what are we teaching them? And we'll never have a time like this again, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's great. And along those, those lessons of, you know, what we're teaching kids, how do you recommend balancing those conversations so that kids are not experiencing more fear or anxiety than, than they need to about a topic that naturally is going to bring about fears and anxiety. So my question is, you know, for those kids that are asking about whether it's specific questions about the virus or um, things along those lines, how do you balance that messaging? This is a tricky one because without anxiety during this time, we wouldn't be washing our hands diligently. We wouldn't be aware of what we're doing and thoughtful. So we need some anxiety to help mm -hmm. keep us safe. We don't want to be overwhelmed by it. And we don't want that to be the vibrating emotion in our home. So it's really important to focus on that, which we can control. So saying, oh, everything's going to be okay, or don't worry. That's not something we can control. And again, we would have very different jobs if that was, <laughs> if those statements really just worked. Yeah. Um, so trying to focus on that, which you can control, um, trying to point out with the children what we are doing to keep ourselves safe. Honey, you know, you do a great job washing your hands every time, or you know how we use masks when we walk outside. These are things we're doing to help keep ourselves safe. And responding also to the kids' fears. I think as a parent myself, I want to have an answer for everything. And I just want to take the worries away sometimes, especially when it's these big emotions. But there isn't always an answer. And sometimes my daughter will ask me questions and my response is, you know what, honey, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me look into it. Um, and being able to just sit with that and being able just to hear them out is honestly half of the strategy, mm -hmm. just to listen. And I know, again, back to the doing, catching ourselves when we're trying to fix. Kids just want to be heard. They want to feel validated and supported. It's okay if you don't have an answer for everything. It's okay to see them struggle. It's hard. And we have to reel in that mama bear in us and just sit with them and listen. So the messaging is, is sometimes going to be that we don't know the answer. And it's okay, we'll figure it out together. Um, some of it might also be, I think with some of the older kids who can, who have information coming at them in other areas, whether it's through friends, whether it is through the media, some of this might be watching the news or, or picking out some channels to, and I don't necessarily mean just TV channels, but whether mm -hmm. some media channels to be listening to together to gather information so that they can ask as it's happening. You want to make sure that your kids are getting accurate information. And again, a lot of parents are like, well, we don't want to talk about it because it's talked about so much. We want to give them a break. The problem with that is they're going to find their answer somehow and somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure that they're coming, that it's coming from you and that it's accurate. And again, some kids will be like, no, mom, I have, I have no questions. I'm totally fine. That's okay. 
and other kids will have questions, but don't wait for them to come to you. They're not always able to, they don't always have the skills to know to come to you. Make sure you're going to them and bringing up the conversation. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. And, in, and again, check your own emotions when you're bringing it up. Make sure you can come from a pretty neutral place of, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Um, because the way that you narrate the conversation too mm-hmm. really directs the emotion behind it. Um, so I might be contradicting myself because I'm saying it's okay to feel these emotions. <clears throat> but again, we don't, the kids don't need to know all the adult stuff behind everything. Mm-hmm. Long-winded answer. Sorry. I think I digressed a little bit. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Abby, we've been hearing from our families that they're witnessing some regression in behaviors among their children, for example, an increase in the number of nightmares or even night terrors or problems falling asleep or problems staying asleep or problems sleeping alone, you know, a desire to sleep with your parents, even bedwetting. Is this typical? Is this something that we can expect? Yes, this is typical. Um, Under stress, it's important to know that we tend to fall back on old familiar ways of coping. And in regards to the night terrors or the nightmares, our kids are trying to make sense and process so much of what's going on. And so what we wanna be doing is helping them get back to their newer, more effective ways of coping. That's not gonna happen overnight. And we kind of need to be thinking about what's happening underneath. So we're seeing night terrors or we're seeing bedwetting or we're seeing them come into our room at night and wanting to sleep. As parents, it's important for us to think about what we're not seeing. What might be going on? Where are their stress levels? How can we help bring those back down? What aren't they telling me? What do they need um, to feel more comfortable, to be able to cope? Some of this, and not in a blame way, but I think in more of an empowering way, is to be able to think about how do we contribute to that? So if I'm really stressed and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I just had two days where I was slammed at work. I, I have been more emotionally unavailable. Let me try and get back in to where I need to be so that I can be more regulated and help co-regulate my child. So if I'm hyper anxious, it's going to be really hard to bring those stress levels down with my child. Um, so thinking about that, and again, we're all doing the best we can. This isn't in, as means to blame ourselves, but it's also how can we think about what we might be doing that's contributing to the stress levels in the home or what might we doing that isn't meeting our children's needs? Where do I need to switch that up a little bit? What aren't we doing? Sorry about my poor grammar right now. But so thinking about that, and then with our kiddos, once we step one, think about ourselves, and then step two, thinking about them, what do they need? How can I best meet that and help them get back there? And some of it might be casual conversations at dinners, having touch points throughout the day, uh, making sure that we have some time to just spend with just them, Um, even if it's five minutes, quality over quantity. And then also, I think this is a good thing to be talking about with you guys as well, if this is going on for longer periods, to be able to talk and see if there's something more going on. But right now, during this major change in their life, their whole life essentially got flipped upside down. This is likely the biggest crisis our kids have ever had to face. They've 
for their whole lives. They've been going to school. They've been seeing their friends. They've had a routine and all of that has been flipped upside down. So it's important to validate that and to understand that this is really challenging for them. And especially the peer interaction, which is so important for many of our kids and de developmentally where they're at, they're not getting that same interaction. They're probably missing their kids. They're missing their teachers. Um, so validating that as well and giving them a space to kind of process and work through this to give their brain a break at night from having to do all that. Yeah, Matt and I, you know, truly believe that behavior is communicating an unmet need. We have to figure out what that unmet need is. And from a, a survey that we did with our families, it seems like a big unmet need is this need for belonging and social connection. And specifically, we've been seeing a lot of questions from our families, like an increase in sibling conflict. And it makes sense, you know, we're all in close quarters. What I've been sharing with my families is that it would be really helpful to have a conversation, facilitate a conversation with the two siblings to understand what unmet needs do they have that's contributing to maybe more frustration, more aggression, more irritability that's leading to the sibling conflict. So have that conversation about what they need and what's not being met and have an agreement. I need you not to just barge into my bedroom. I need you to knock on the door for me to acknowledge before you come in. I mean, something as simple as that. But if we don't have those conversations and people make assumptions and many times those assumptions aren't correct. So that's the advice that I've been giving to my families to sort of manage the sibling conflict conflict is to have an understanding of what are the unmet needs. And a lot of it, I think, is tied to they're missing their friends. Matt, I know you've had some experience, too, with your families. Yeah, there's also um, an appropriateness for an agreement or a contract around e-learning, especially for those families who have multiple children, different grade levels, different expectations in terms of when they need access to technology or when they need a quiet space in the home to get schoolwork done. So we're recommending agreements about, you know, how long or when a certain child will have access to the device, the iPad, the laptop for, for their schoolwork, because that can create conflict too when one child is finished with their work or maybe doesn't need to engage at the same level and the other students trying to concentrate or be on a Zoom call. So we're recommending some agreements around technology and time and space. I think that's fantastic. I think those that communication within the family is so key and having some concrete agreements is really important. It's helping every member feel heard. It, like you had said, Deborah, too, sometimes we make assumptions and they're completely off. And making sure that the message sent is received in the way we intended it to. And I think that's really helpful when we go back to teaching too. What are we teaching our kids? We're teaching them how to manage conflict. Um, if they're missing their friends and they're the only person they have is their sibling to be around, they're learning how to cope with that and how to deal with that. Okay. <laughs> My expectation isn't being met because 
I feel disappointed that I'm not with my friends and I'm stuck with you. Okay, well, how do you navigate that? How do you move forward? So I think that's so great that that's messaging you're sending because we know that the sibling conflict is increasing. They're around each other a lot more Mm -hmm. and uh, missing their friends on top of it. So making sure that you have a family plan and how to deal with that is really important. So Abby, changing gears a little bit, uh, I wanted to talk to you about those frontline workers, first responders, because we do have families in our school, in our community, where those individuals are nurses and doctors and police officers and um, delivery workers, people who are out there um, working every day whose whose life um, maybe hasn't changed that much in terms of how much they're away from the home, but the worries have changed for those children. What recommendations do you have for parents that are in those frontline roles um, and how they can talk to their children? Yeah, um, I think being able, which also thank you to those parents, these are huge sacrifices that they're making Mm -hmm. and we're seeing how that impacts their kids. I think it's really important for those parents to validate that sacrifice, to be able to talk to their kids about the acknowledgement of that sacrifice. We get that you're sacrificing too. I know you're missing me Um, because just talking about the help that they're doing is likely very abstract for some of these younger kids and for the older ones, it's not about them. So they're like, no, all I know is I'm missing my mom and I'm worried about you. I'm missing my dad and I'm worried about his safety. Why do you have to be at risk when I need you here um, or I'm worried about you? So validating their sacrifice, I think is really important. And going back to um, everything that you guys are doing as parents to stay safe. This is what's within my control. This is what I'm doing, honey. I want you to know that I'm doing everything in my power to stay as safe as I can. That's why I wear gloves. That's why I wear a mask. That's why I keep my distance. Um, That's why when I come home, you see the first thing I do is I jump in the shower. And I, you know, so talking about that so that they can um, know what those actions are Mm -hmm. and why they're doing them. But like I said, too, I think asking the kids, how do they feel about it? encouraging a conversation that's about them too, because you have these parents that are making sacrifices and helping all of us keep everyone else safe. That comes at a cost. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, it is a great sacrifice and the kids are doing it too, even though they're not the ones carrying out the work, it's impacting their family. Abby, I know that you've authored a whole series of children's books on social emotional skills and competencies, and we use those in our social emotional learning curriculum at Alphonsus Academy. And our children have really, really enjoyed them and have learned some very important social emotional skills. I'm thinking particularly two of your books, one on grit and one on emotion commotion. And the reason I'd like you to talk about those is that I think that grit and perseverance during these uncertain times when we don't have an end date is really important. And also emotion commotion in terms of validating for people that you may experience a whole range of emotions that may change minute by minute or uh, week by week, month by month. So if you could just talk about those books and the other books and how those are important during these times. 
Yeah, I think books are amazing tools. Um, anything that encourages conversation or dialogue is really helpful. And I think for parents, books are a great way to do that. The goal isn't to just get through the book. The goal is to ask some questions throughout and to start and have a conversation. And with emotion commotion, it's really helpful. A lot of kids, even through eighth grade, don't always understand what's going on within them. So for them to be able to understand and create um, dialogue and to name feelings, um, to increase their emotional vocabulary is really important, especially during this time, as you said, we're grieving sacrifices where we're, we've made. We have anxiety, we're um, bored, we're happy at times, we're grateful. We're, there's a whole range of emotions that we're feeling and it's really important for kids to develop that vocabulary and to understand the complexity of our emotions because our emotions are cues into how to move forward. If like, for instance, if I'm anxious, I need to listen to that. Oh, that's because I just touched something that was really dirty. And yep, I need to go wash my hands. It's serving me. So comfortable or uncomfortable emotions are really important to be able to name and recognize. And that's where that emotion commotion book comes in. And we'll even read those with older kids and say, hey, we know this is a book for younger kids, but how else would you explain it to them? And it's really cool to see how older kids find different words and come up with different ideas of, oh my gosh, I would have never thought of it that way. That's awesome to explain it this way. Um, and having older kids teach younger siblings about this stuff is really important. And then with the grit, I agree with you. It's really important for us to be able to persevere. If any of you experienced what I did, once I realized that summer is not going to look the way I wanted it to, mm -hmm. it hit me pretty hard because for a while I kept thinking this is a sprint. Like, okay, I just have to get through. And now we're realizing this is more of a marathon and there's going to be some ups and downs throughout, throughout it. Um, grieving the summer that we thought we were going to have, the graduation we thought we were going to have, the friendships, the, the soccer season we thought we were going to have. There's a lot going on and we want our kids to be able to know that they can get through this. And grit is really important to be able to develop. And I think as parents, our tendency is to swoop in. Like, like I was saying earlier, to try and protect, to try and swoop in and make things easier. Okay, no, it's already a really challenging time. Let's make it easier for them. We, we really want to be balancing that. Yes, there are times when it's appropriate to swoop in, but honestly, more often than not, let your kids figure it out because what you're messaging when you do that over and over, the swooping in, what you're indirectly sending to your children is that you don't think they're capable. You don't think they can handle it when we want to be sending the opposite message. So honey, I, you got this. I'll check back in a half hour. If you know that you can't be sitting there next to them while they're getting through something difficult, leave. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Let them figure it out. You can always troubleshoot later. But what you're sending them, the message you're sending them is A, that they can tolerate those uncomfortable emotions and B, that they can figure out how to move forward. It might not always be the way you would want them moving forward, but we want them knowing that they're empowered to make these decisions, that they're empowered to push through and they can handle it. And we're going to need this. Again, these are life lessons. And why not take this opportunity now to really be teaching this to our kids? Um, so the hard thing of backing up and letting them develop it. Mm -hmm. Abby, I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about um, our students who have special learning challenges or maybe attention issues and what recommendations you have for parents of those students as they're starting to 
see how their children learn in a way that maybe they didn't see before. Yes, it's important to think about how those accommodations that you guys had been able to meet and do within the school setting can be brought into the home setting. So the whole point of accommodations is to help our kids develop skills and have the right resources and tools in place to, to develop skills where it's more difficult for them and to ultimately be able to learn without those accommodations. But, and we think about that as graduating, right? Um, mm -hmm. So the, the point of accommodations is not to have them in place forever, but is to keep building our kids up with, so that they can better understand their areas of strength and weakness and how to play to their strengths so that they can learn more effectively. And a silver lining of this, I think parents are able to see now how their kids learn best and under what circumstances. So how can they bring that into the home rather than expecting a kid to sit in their seat and just watch and just, let's go with the resistance. Where, where are they struggling? What are we seeing them struggle with? How can, can they want to move around it? Okay, let's let them move around. How can we do that though in the least disruptive way? There are great, even if you go on Amazon, there are great things that you can look up in terms of fidgets, in terms of bounce chairs, in terms of other ways to help kids be able to stay focused and use their body in a way that isn't disruptive, but can help them learn more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and we want our children to learn just because I struggle in this area, I'm actually really good in this area. So how do we play this up? Oh, you do great when you're moving your body around and when you're chewing gum and when you're, okay, so how can we do that and keep you focused on what we're doing? And I think parents can also, the nice thing with this is they can practice this not only during e-learning, where they're seeing these areas of difficulty in e-learning, set that up in other areas around the house too. When you're having them at dinner, have them sit and using the same sort of skills and developing those skills so that they're going to be even stronger when they mm -hmm. come back to e-learning and being creative about integrating that into the home so it's really cohesive because we know the more you're doing something, the better you get at it. And again, quality over quantity. I'm not saying that they need to be doing the same thing over and over at home, but if you challenge them for five more minutes, you know they really struggle with impulse control. Okay, so for five minutes before dinner, I'm gonna have you sit with me and help me make um, put the, the cookies on the plate. No eating them, and let's practice. Little things like that, and even with older kids, you can be doing it. So I think it's really important to think about the accommodations, not just in this, in this e-learning setting, but in the home in general, and again, I think that's the blessing of this. I think parents are going to see the areas that need to be developed more and have a better understanding of that and how they can keep supporting it. Um, and I think using the team at school, because you guys will have great ideas and especially um, their treatment team at school being able to say, well, how do you guys handle this challenge at school? Oh, this is what we do. Oh, okay, great. Let me adapt that into the home. So communicating it and asking the teachers what they do so that you guys can all have just an, a range of ideas. Abby, those are great suggestions on how to incorporate movement and activity in a child's day to help them with their focus and concentration. I've heard of a method called the Pomodoro method where they work for a certain amount of time, whether it's 15 or 20 minutes, then they take a five minute break. So that's like really important to have the break. We've also heard from parents that students have a lot of struggle with 
what we think of the executive functions, the, the activities that are controlled by the frontal lobe of the brain. So like organization and time management and breaking up uh, long-term projects into manageable chunks. What advice do you have for parents to help their student with the executive function challenge associated with these learning issues? I think you just nailed it with, um, in terms of the executive functioning skills. A lot of times we take for granted that people just have those, but they are skills and they have to be developed. And some parents will be, oh my gosh, my kid's in fourth grade. They should be able to X, Y, Z. If you're catching yourself with they should be able to or why can't, that is a, a ding, an aha, a, but they don't. They don't have it. And we want them to develop it. And so making sure that you're being kind of that frontal lobe for them. You are, you, you're being the executive functioning model for them until they can do it themselves. So you're helping them with their assignment notebook. You're helping them make sure they have their tasks. You're talking through the process of prioritizing their tasks. Um, another thing we really like to encourage kids to do is write out when they have a task, estimate how much time it's gonna take. And then once it's done, write down how much time it actually took. Because we find out a lot of these kids overestimate how much time something's gonna take, or they significantly underestimate. And with the underestimation, what's helpful with those is, wow, you thought that was gonna take five minutes and it took you 15. Let's look at this. It's really helpful then to break down, oh, that's because this was three tasks. Let's look at this. You really did X, Y, and Z here. It wasn't just reading the chapter. You had to ask questions about it. So even that of helping these kids break down these tasks so they know how to do it moving forward. Um, we get a lot of parents that'll say, oh, my child's always procrastinating. What we actually see is there's a difference between initiation and procrastination. A lot of kids who have learning differences just don't know how to start. They don't know where to start. They don't know how to initiate a task. And that's very different from procrastinating where putting it off, putting it off. Mm -hmm. So being able to have, and obviously there's going to be procrastination. <laughs> there are some kids who have both, right? And as human beings, we procrastinate. But being able to really differentiate and help your kids learn how to get started. Another important thing too with our kids is helping them know when to stop. And like you had said, be able to take a break. It's okay to stop something that's not totally finished. Go take a break and then be able to come back to it because that's an important skill too. Oh, I'm not going to start it because it's going to take me an hour. Okay, well, you have 20 minutes right now. Let's get 20 minutes of it done and then come back to it. So a lot of this as parents is being able to recognize skills that we take for granted that we've just developed over time, but we weren't born with these. And we all have different capacities to learn them. So meeting your kids where they're at and being able to step in and accommodate until your kids are able to get there on their own. And it is more work. So making sure that you do have this time and you have time set aside. And if you have you know, your partner in the home, being able to tag in and out of, okay, it's you now and you're gonna be taking this over. Because these, the more you invest in these skills, the more the kids are going to develop it. We could do some quick fixes. Oh my gosh, let me just come in and I'll organize it. But going back to what are we teaching? We're trying to teach executive functioning skills. We're trying to teach them how to organize their material and their day and to plan ahead and think about this stuff. So I think that's great that you're bringing up 
parents being able to step in and know when to help organize and get their kids moving forward. Abby, what comforting words do you have for our parents who have expressed concerns about their child not wanting to engage with their peers using the technology, whether it's kids messaging or Zoom classes, their concerns that their child is withdrawing or isolating. What, what can we say to parents in terms of knowing whether this is, is a concern that they should consider or is it something that will not have long-term impact? So, with this one, I think it's important to know your child. There are going to be some kids that are really craving that social interaction and they'll be using all the technology platforms to get it. And that's totally fine. And I think having some sort of limit on it is important and also monitoring being safe. But for the kids that aren't as interested, that's really typical too. It's okay. They don't need to be. And I think understanding your child, meeting them where they're at, it's a different interaction. And if that's not what they're craving, that is okay and go go with that resistance let them then engage around the house or do some other things that they're interested in you don't need to force that for fear that they won't have social skills or they're falling behind socially don't push it meet your kid and listen to them meet them where they're at if they are isolating from the family in general and withdrawing and not interacting that's where it's a reason for concern and to reach out to you guys or you know therapists, outside therapists, like our practice, uh, that is where it's more of a concern. But if it's just the not wanting to engage in these platforms, that's okay. And where as a parent myself, I've been comforted is we're all going to be dealing with this struggle later on of the kids missing out on this face-to-face -face interaction. And we'll all figure it out once we get there. Kids are really resilient and they bounce back. Um, kids, the same way that they can figure out technology in five minutes, something that took me two years to figure out, they will bounce back and we're all in this together. We're all going to be in the same place. So if someone's behind, we're all behind and we'll pick it up where we left off. So rather than getting stuck in those fears, it's okay to think about, but don't let it take over and then bring it back to where we are now. Go back to focusing on what you can control, um, focusing on the silver linings of what we have in this moment. You know what? We have more game nights, mm -hmm. all of us then, and bring it back to that. And I know that's been really comforting for me to think about and to be able to move forward. And I know our clients, that's been helpful for them as well. Abby, this has been wonderful. Your um, answers and your feedback and your thoughts have really been helpful. And I'm sure our community will really appreciate that. Conversations like these can certainly bring more questions and um, more concerns. How can families connect with you and um, AMK if they have more questions or if they want to seek out your services? We are happy to help. Um, so questions in general, we have an email, info at amkcounseling.com. They can email me, my Abby, A-B-B-I-E, at amkcounseling.com. I know if you guys want to provide that. Because a lot of this too is troubleshooting. It doesn't mean that you have to just start up and engage in therapy even. Mm -hmm. Some of this is just troubleshooting. And I, and I think we are even starting a family support, a parent support group too. Because a lot of this, as you can see by my answers, are case by case. I, I wish we had a one size fits all, but we don't. So having some people to talk through with this 
we are happy to help in any way that we can. So whether it's through our, our website or our email, um, my phone number is up there too. They can call. We are pretty geeky about helping and getting into all of this. So we're happy to help where we can. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And we hope that you and your family are staying safe and healthy during these trying times. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Abby. 